0: Hey everybody, and welcome back to the Mights Well Get Outdoors podcast. On today's episode, we're going to be talking. Well, we're going to be talking about a bunch of different stuff, but we're going to be talking with Pat Moore. Uh, Pat, do you mind? Uh, you know, before I start cutting anything or anything off, um, you mind giving a little quick, you know, intro about yourself and what we're going to be talking about today?
1: Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me on, Jesse. Uh, so. As he said, I'm Pat Moore. I own uh, Black Tree Kennels out of Flagstaff, Arizona, and then I'm also a Forest Service firefighter. I run the Mesa Hot Shops out of the Mesa Ranger District on the town of National Forest. Um, I, you know, growing up, I, I grew up typical High Plains kid chasing, you know, pheasants and sharptails and doves and the occasional sagey, occasional hun uh, out in western Nebraska, but my... Dad bred German Short Hair Pointers, and so grew up helping him with those. And you know, some of my best chores uh, were, were working with with those dogs. And uh, that grew into late in high school getting into guiding with some of his clients. And then uh, once I went to college, I was I was guiding. And when the fire bug bit me, it got really easy because I spent all summer fighting fire, and then all fall and most of the winter, uh, you know guiding people on for wild birds there in western Nebraska and eastern Wyoming so it was it was uh, <clears throat> you know a, a really good way to to develop my skills with, with dogs and, and with birds um, and that evolved into black tree kennels Black Tree comes from the fact that I'd say it black trees on the fire paid for everything in the startup so uh that's that's where that comes from and and uh, it's evolved to where my wife and i now we do weekend training sessions for folks and uh bring dogs in long term but the goal is to, to either make finished hunting dogs or finished trial dogs sometimes it's a mix of both but uh our love has always been with the wild birds uh and uh definitely our emphasis we still do a little bit of guiding but mostly training um, but, but getting dogs on wild birds is our passion
0: yeah I mean that's pretty evident you know and in, in, you know I've been going up for some of your little short term trainings with uh, you know with, with Boone my Labrador or my what was it going nickname? Um, the Dab- Dabblador? Dabblador. They dabble
1: with this, they dabble with that. <laughs> we gave him a purpose. He's, he's now a Labrador retriever, not a Dabblador.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I know, because we, we've been going up for, I believe, about two months. Uh, and that was actually prior to a hunting trip we went on. Uh, you know, just doing those, you know, we just go up pretty much whatever I had time. And I, so, for folks at home, so my, My nickname for Boone has always, or not my nickname, but my title for Boone has been he's a retriever in name only. Uh, He's been a pretty good couch dog since we moved to Arizona about three years ago. Um, But, you know, two months of just, you know, on and off, you know, just weekends with with Pat has been, he's a whole different dog. Like, like bird-wise, I mean, he's, you know, you watch him first day, he couldn't care too less about a, a Bob White, and, you know, after... You know, after our most recent hunt, I mean, he was on uh, quail, he was on sharp-tailed grouse, he was, he's looking promising on pheasants, I mean, it's, but, uh, you know, even those little short terms, it can be very, very beneficial, and I know I've been astounded with with the difference, but. um.
1: Well, and and that's one of the real bonuses to that, is I sent you home with with homework, He did most of it, and uh, then came up and we added to it each week, and we we watched Boom really open up his his Rolodex and start figuring out. Wow, I really like this stuff, and uh, it it was it's so fun to watch a dog turn on. You know, obviously my my specialty is pointing dogs, but we've we've done a lot of flushers and retrievers as well, and to. It, it was really fun to take him from couch potato to a lean, mean, uh, <laughs> short tail grouse machine. Which that's tough for a big dog, you know. That's big country, but uh, and then watching him uh, on the way home get in those pheasants on the CRP was that was to me that was the pinnacle of so far of our training. I'm not done with him yet, though, Jesse.
0: Oh no! I mean, between trainings, and he's got a lot of a lot of Gamble's country to cover this this fall.
1: No, he's he's Boone's a good boy, you know, and and his owner's okay too. But it's it's uh,
0: uh it's, don't it, don't let Pat fool His owner's a prick. <laughs>
1: <laughs> he's he's a lot of fun to uh, to be with, but uh, no, um. But what it was was, you know, we're using the pigeons, we're using the quail to get dogs ready for that first contact with wild birds. Uh, don't get me wrong; I will never say that pen raised birds are the the same as wild birds they are a training tool and you can train dogs on wild birds but it's it's a lot more haphazard and so building that foundation on the pin raised birds and the pigeons allows you to get a foundation under the dog before you you go out and even on wild birds we're still training that first season or even two in the field you know they don't get it all at once to, to really get good at it but uh it was it's it's a very handy tool to be able to go out plant some birds set up the situation to help the dog have success or even to help the dog fail if that's what's necessary um for a learning moment but but your learning is so much more controllable then and then we go with the uncontrolled learning on the wild birds once that that foundation is in place
0: Right, exactly, and that's and that's actually you said the word I was going to use is that that controllability is, you know, especially with a young dog or a new dog, it doesn't have to be a young dog. Um, we'll call them adult onset hunter dogs. <laughs> but uh, you know, definitely can definitely um, you know, they can start putting two and two together, kind of what you're looking for and what they need to look for or smell for rather, uh, you know, to to pull apart an environment, you know, because you know it's. Especially here in Arizona, you know, it's uh I mean any place you go, you I mean you're gonna have antelope smells, deer smells, elk smells, passerine bird smells, and then you're gonna have game birds and then you know, they gotta use their, their nose as their eyes and you know, kinda of pick it apart and but having that control ability to introduce what you're looking for is it's it's vital really.
1: Yeah, and how to react to those upland bird sense and then you know and, and the waterfowl ha- is its own challenge but but in some ways it's easier to control because if it doesn't hit the water dog's not going for it really so um but it's 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 fun i mean i i, I love getting to see a dog turn it on Boone and uh, some of the other dogs that we've been working with this summer have been just a joy to watch turn on so uh and the fun thing is all of them got to go on this hunt you've been talking about up in Nebraska Um, you call it a hunt I call it a training session but uh, (laughs) and it is that we did some hunting um, with my we started with my broke dogs but uh, and uh, I know here later in the podcast we're going to talk about dog care in the field especially coming into a very hot start of the Arizona desert quail season but um, on day two, while well, we were just uh, kind of prospecting for quail, I'm sorry, grouse in some of my likely areas up in northwest Nebraska, um, my most experienced dog, Nick, and, and Jesse, you were there for this, so correct me if I'm wrong, but he went in and basically got, got hit by a prairie rattler. And the dog is has been snake broke he's scared to death of rattlesnakes just because of the snake breaking process so it shows you that you that's not foolproof but he got hit in the sheath of his penis which was would caused us some issues because we thought he got hit but we checked all the likely areas side of the face nose chest front legs, and we couldn't find anything, which kind of delayed his care a little bit until the swelling started, but we immediately, I would say within five minutes, knew something was up, because here's this hard-charging trial-slash-hunting dog was suddenly just kind of dawdling along, and then he started to wobble and came over and wouldn't drink, and it was pretty warm that day, it was, what, mid-80s, Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and uh, we knew something was up, so I carried him as long as he would let me, but he's a pretty tough little bastard and started kicking me a little bit. So we let him walk about the last 200 yards of the truck, but he started to seem to come out of it. And so I was like, maybe, maybe it was just heat. And he started drinking water, but then the swelling came on and it was time to get him to the vet and got him in. And, and, uh, we'll go into the care and, and some new products and some thoughts that, um, and some questions I have uh, about how we deal with it, but it, I will say this it's it's a scary thing because it's the one thing that your mid kit truly doesn't matter how you know. I'm a former human EMT, got all the skills with sticking lines and stapling and suturing and all of that because I'm a fireman, but um, I didn't have anything really other than drive really fast and get him to the vet as my, as my fallback on that. So that's, it, it was a little scary, but we, we, uh, we got to the vet and then the rest of the, the guys with their dogs we have been training got into camp that afternoon. And so we left him at the vet and he, he got treatment and then went down and spent the week with my parents. But, uh, we started getting into birds, I think, the next day with uh, Smoking, my other broke dog, that we brought up for uh, teaching, um, mostly showing range and what to do. And it was it was tough. Birds were hair miss, but at the same time, we were getting those bird contacts and getting some young dogs on point, um, making those bird contacts. I don't want to say all on point, because we did get booing into birds, too, and he certainly was <laughs> at point, but... Uh, I don't know. It it was, it's, Jesse Cole, I want to go back to this, Jesse Cole did a hunting trip. For me, it's, it's all about introducing young dogs that we've had in training to wild birds. One, it's wild birds, sharp-tailed grouse, occasional huns. Two, it's big country, and I don't know, unless you've been on the high plains or grew up, in, in wide open country, you know, Arizona feels tight to me. Even though you can still see the horizon forever, um, it's just not the same as being in big grassland, high plains, or, 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 or natural prairie country. And so, getting the dogs out and letting them, you know, get out of the get out of the range where we've been controlling them, we've been handling them. They're going to be out where they've got to make some decisions. And you see right away whether they're going to work with you or they're going to do their own thing. You need to do some, make some changes in in the handling. But it's really cool when you see a dog get out there and start learning to use that ever-present big wind on huge country that instead of quartering, you know, 50 yards back and forth, 75 yards out in front of you, they're making a half-mile cast on a crosswind and diving in on the scent. And that's, you know, I think the value. Um, I know a lot of are every year I have handlers that come up there and they're worried about how Pick the dogs working, and if they go back to uh, either the east working, you know, rough grouse or uh, down south working desert quail or pheasants in a the field, they're they're going to adjust that that range and that cast to the cover you're hunting. And you've got to getting the handlers. I think sometimes to trust them is harder than trust letting the dogs out and going. Um, that's but that's the real value is wild birds and just such a different. Change in country that they learn to range as far as the habitat, but also their handler can get to them in time to control the bird. You know that's that's pretty important in their development.
0: Yeah, for sure. And yeah, I, I keep I, I do keep calling it a hunting trip, but yeah, you're right. It was you know it was, it was focused on the dogs, and you know uh, to a lesser degree on the on the handlers. You know, teaching them just as much as you teach, you know, getting that working relationship going. And and I know that um so i was talking about i'm just gonna keep going back to boone because obviously he's you know he's he's my dog uh you know i think just those what were we up there for 10 days uh you know we grew like he's always been my buddy but you know this whole new dynamic of the hunting um i feel like we started working together more like it actually became a partnership and oh absolutely yeah you
2: guys
1: you guys absolutely became partners he was looking to you for hey am i doing the right thing and you were looking at him like hey are you smelling anything over there it was it was it's a cool dynamic to watch develop between the handler and the animal um it, it just when it becomes a partnership is when it really starts getting good
0: yeah and that's and uh i mean that partnership and you know and then if a handler didn't wasn't able to attend you know just seeing those dogs develop and um, I'm thinking of one in particular. I don't know if we want to name drop the dogs, but uh, the one little boxy Brittany, Um, you know, Miss Reese. No, no, not Miss Reese. Well, I mean, she was a oh, riot Charlie. to watch. I met Charlie. Charlie. Yeah, Mr. Charlie. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Charlie. No, I had. a, I think out of, out of I mean, I loved every dog that was there, and loved watching them. But just something about seeing Mr. Charlie. You know, just it just clicked, and you know, it was all. Oh, it was amazing.
1: Well, Mr. Charlie came in, uh, he is not my typical client. He, he's a senior dog that I've never hunted, that you he owner really wanted to get a shot. And his, uh, his housemate, Buck, came along. And, but Charlie was just so much fun, because we watched him going from, what are you asking, what are you asking, to, I'm going to go point that bird, you're going to shoot it, and I'm going to retrieve it, and I'm going to check in with you, and it was just, really fun to watch genetics and prey drive kick in on an older dog that i really I, I don't want to knock him but at that age I, I was a little concerned about what he'd be able to do and he god he was the funnest dog to watch all week
0: yeah i mean i know i had an absolute i mean putting him down with smoking you know he, he he couldn't run the big cast like smokey was you know that's mostly you know, an age thing, you just couldn't keep up with a younger dog. But man, when he worked, Early worked. Up
1: with Even Mick can't keep up with Smokey. But yeah, <laughs> he, he, he was watching a horseback dog go big. And, uh, and he, what was cool was he went, I'm not that dog. And he jumped in and he's like, I'll cover the stuff he's missing because he's taking these big casts. And it was, those two were really fun. They became pretty good hunting partners.
0: Oh yeah, uh, uh, then what was it? We got into that. We got into that. Um, oh, I can't think what that plant growth was, but we got into that old crop field, and you know, Smoky or not Smoky, um, Charlie, you know, became disoriented. You know, just he lost sight of of us, and you know, it's kind of cool seeing Smokey went and got him and brought him back, and then we continued hunting, and everything was right as rain afterwards. But just seeing that yeah, partnership grow, that was.
1: It's not often you see a sweet moment like that. Usually, like my dogs because they also try, They're so competitive, but to watch him go and take care of Charlie was that was kind of a nice moment.
0: Yeah, yeah, that was that was definitely one of the highs, and there were certainly a few lows. Um, you know, obviously, you already talked about or, or mentioned Mick, and uh, but you we know,
1: the dry days that were pretty rugged too, where we were. Having to go back and put dogs on pen-raised birds just to
0: just to keep not them kill the
1: drives, but yeah, it was with some lows too.
0: Yep. Um, I'm thinking mostly one morning in particular when I woke up and the tent was on top of me. <laughs> <But. Yeah. laughs>
1: those, those 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 forty mile an hour sustained winds are that, that's a high plane specialty. It, it, it was. I, you know, growing up, I was just say the wind's my best friend, and I think it was more out of fear if I didn't say that the wind would beat me up, but <laughs> uh, that's, that's what, you know, for me, it's gonna be, I, I'm, I'm not home until that wind's hit me in the face, but no, uh, we had some lows, but we also had some just, for me, it was pretty normal watching dogs grow and, and get better, but but watching some other handlers understand that it wasn't going to be about with, with, I mean, if we wanted full bags it would have been Nick and smoky every field every day and we'd have been done by noon, but that's not what we were there for. We were there to train. And so watching them understand that those bird contacts and no, we can't shoot because they bumped them or no, we can't shoot because for whatever reason, or, you know, it, 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 Watching that understanding in the handlers was pretty gratifying. Not as much as it was watching the dogs. I'm mean, always going to take dogs over people, but um, but watching them kind of get that—okay, this is valuable. This is education, even if we aren't just flat out killing.
0: Right. I mean, for sure. I mean, those. I mean, seeing everybody grow and you know everybody kind of figure it out. Because, like you said, that's big country, and for folks that. Like passing that, maybe not everybody knows about. It. Um, so I grew up on the east coast, the northeast. Not not just the east coast, but I grew up in the northeast, big woods. Uh, no horizon. No horizon. Yeah, like like I grew up on Lake Ontario. We had a horizon on the water, but that was one thing. But if you got on land, you know, a long shot in the woods was sixty yards. Uh, you know, and it, the only guys that were shooting past you know a hundred were the guys that were purposely shooting that far for like woodchucks in the fields. And then, you know, coming to Arizona, and, you know, you can see a long ways here, but when you actually get into a hunting environment, uh, unless you, you know, have a rifle that's dialed in, I mean, you're still shooting down the brush country, or if you're way up, you know, maybe up like Seligman or, you know, up by, you know, get west of you get up in the the open country, you know, you can see a long ways. But that's what I was used to, but going to Nebraska and seeing true big country was still... It makes you take a step back saying we're going to go where because <laughs> it just keeps going and...
1: well and, and, and yeah it, it's i mean every rifle is zeroed at 300 plus in nebraska just because y- you saw it unless you want to belly crawl through grass you know for half mile it's it's and prickly pear <laughs> a lot oh. of prickly pear up there but uh you know it's just it's it's wide open. The, uh, only native trees are on the, on the right, in the riparian areas, the greenages. um, which would be cottonwoods and, uh, occasionally a vine maple or an ash. But for the most part, there are no native trees on the high plains. If you're seeing junipers or stuff like that, it's been introduced to create windbreaks, um, for either homesteads or cattle or livestock of some sort, so to see a, a true ocean of grass is pretty pretty awesome. I, I, I you know I I don't want to advertise Nebraska too because it's my home state have not screwed it up yet, but <laughs> uh, I I do love it
2: up there.
0: No, yeah, and it is it's definitely a fantastic state to go to, and and you know I'm definitely looking forward to you know getting an opportunity to go back because it's it is that kind of state. Um, but, uh, so I kind of want to drop back a little bit and talk more about the first day. Cause I mean, we, we do have opening day. I mean, tomorrow, actually tomorrow is opening day of quail here in desert quail here in Arizona. And this podcast will be releasing after, for, after the opening weekend. But, um, I still feel we should talk about this. Uh, but some, you know, maybe some do's and don'ts for people, uh, you know, for their dog's first aid. I mean, obviously, we got to, you know, people got to be safe, you know, have to first aid themselves, but um, I feel like with this podcast, we, we really need to focus more on the dogs because there's a ton of podcasting and, and information out there for us. Um, yeah,
1: and, and I want to, you know, we're rational beings. We we know, well, I hope you're outdoorsman enough or outdoorswoman enough to know when you're going down, when you're hitting the heat. And you know, as a wildland firefighter in the South we we deal with that a lot, and I can go ad ad nauseum about that, but the dogs want to please, the dogs want to go, they want to find birds, but most of all, they want to please. And so it's very easy in the heat to overdo it. So here's, here's the thing. It's been hot. We had no monsoon. Our temperatures are well above normal. We broke every record for heat this year in uh, central Arizona. Don't don't go out and think your dog's going to hunt an hour full on and be okay. I think you posted today online... uh, and and it's on my, you said two liters for you, two liters for the dog. I you figure out what you need, but those four liters are for the dog. Um, is where I'm at with it. Yeah. Um, because you never know if, if even if the dog is hydrated and you're keeping it cool, you never know when you're going to need that extra half gallon to cool the dog it down uh, and get it out. Um, I. Uh, a lot of guys will get mad because, especially in the trial world, their dog's coming back to them for water um, when they aren't out lurking. And I guess I struggle with that. The dog isn't, my, my dogs have tremendous prey drive. I, I have yet to see a dog that's being lazy that has any kind of prey drive coming back for water that's a signal you need to read as the handler as the owner as the as the partner on the team and saying you know what they're hot so okay i'm going to give them the water they need and now be extra vigilant because i know they're heating up prematurely because of the ambient temperatures out there um that's that's critical another thing to do is we carry a dump, dump tank with us for any desert hunt, even clear the December and January. I want those dogs soaked and carrying a layer of water on their undercoat, um, even before we start the, the hunt. You know, I, I, want, I want to have them in the best position for success and healthy, happy hunting as possible so we'll get in get them in that tank roll them make sure we get them 360 get their chest wet their back wet their throat wet and if you can get their head wet that evaporation is invaluable in managing their heat the other thing i see folks doing and this is a tough one the desert's hard on dogs feet and if you've got to boot them that's going to cut your time in a quarter Yeah, by three quarters because they do so much of their cooling through their pads. Um, I would say the better thing to do is use that off season to toughen their feet, have them have their pads conditioned for those rough, spiny, thorny, rocky conditions um, versus booting them up. Booting them, their their, their feet are going to be fine, but you got to know it's going to shorten their time in the field because they aren't all that's left then is panting and if you soak them evaporation to cool them but the pads are really important in the cooling process for a dog so i am not a big fan in hot conditions of pads now where i am a fan of it is sub-zero conditions like you'll get up north that's not really an arizona concern but you know even the most hardened struggles in sub-zero conditions on snow and ice
0: yeah, for sure. I mean I know that's one with Boone is um well, don't really get him out when it's that cold. Not that it gets that cold here, but when we were back east, you know, once it I mean once it gets below a certain temp, you know, the dog, you know, it's pretty much he stays in the yard or helps snow blow the driveway kind of thing. Um you're not gonna be running him for, for late season grouse when it's twenty below zero. Um you know, the well,
1: birds in too.
0: <laughs> What's that?
1: it's unfair to the birds then too, yeah, man. Yeah, that's... There, there's, you gotta give the birds a day off you know it's, it's tough but uh, in terms of heat's the biggest killer for humans and animals in the desert it just is and you gotta be I don't care if your hunt ends early I, I, I may sound like a jerk but I don't care if you've got your limit if your dog's telling you he's done he's done and uh, you know anybody who isn't watching their dog and staying on top of it yeah uh, you're,
0: you''re gonna end up with heartache yeah for sure i mean I think that's what needs to be said no matter what i mean whether you, i mean i don't think you sound like a jerk it's just that's just the way it is um you know folks don't want to hear it they don't want to hear it but uh um but yeah definitely got come I mean, he's your partner he or she is your partner and you got to make sure you look out for them and um so so, Do you so talk what? about snakes yeah, let's, I was going to say, let's go to either snakes or first aid next.
1: Let's let's talk uh, general first aid, if you don't mind. Yeah. I'm at a little bit of an advantage because I grew up the son of a nurse and uh, was an EMT and expired, but it's all still there. So, my med kit's pretty expensive. I, I carry an IV kit to cool the dog. I have staples. I have sutures. But... The biggest thing is have the means to doctor a foot because they're going to blow pads, and by blow pads I mean they're going to they're going to that cornified hard layer on top is going to peel off at some point on every dog that hunts more than thirty days a year. It just it happens. Uh, no matter how much you toughen their feet, they're going to get foot sore. Um, some of that. So our dogs, we toughen their feet. Their kennels, they are not on concrete. They are on lava rock in there uh, in their kennels. And it's not to be a jerk, but it's to continually abrade those feet as well as running them on the Malapai and all the crap that Arizona has to offer to continually toughen those feet. So you can't you can't under underestimate the effectiveness of of your off season conditioning um, from a fitness standpoint and foot conditioning. Um, that makes the dog so much better to deal with heat and, and the conditions. But having, I'm going to tell you right now, you need to have in your, in your pack, not your med kit. So how I have it set up is I have, you've seen it, I have my full-on med kit that's in the truck. But in my pack, I have a hemostat, a Choya comb, five or six uh, 4x4 gauze pads, some EMT gel, which it's a commercial product. I rarely endorse a commercial product, but it is the best stuff out there. And then Vet Wrap, and that will get you nine times out of ten out of uh, out of problem at least good enough to get you back to the truck for a first aid issue—a cut. You know, uh, a lot of times we're seeing dogs duck under barbed wire and slice slice a back, or run through a stob and puncture a chest. or or rip open a chest you know that's that's normal stuff that your concern is stop the bleeding compress it with the vet wrap and get them to a vet somebody who knows how to do sutures or staples and clean out well first of all clean out the wound and then get it sealed up um we have some of that ability with our full-on med kit but you know most hunters aren't going to have that and wouldn't want them to the biggest thing is control the bleeding and provide that compression to the wound the other thing is have a cooler ice. it's great for keeping birds from spoiling in this desert heat but the bigger thing is if the dog gets hot use that vet wrap to and ziploc bags to put cold compresses along their thoracic their, their chest and their groin and hold it in place to get them cooled down um some of the others, but the DMT gel is really amazing for anything that isn't going to require sutures. You smear it on the cut, it has an antiseptic quality as well as it's made of collagen, so the body automatically starts using its ingredients to create new cells over the wound. Um, So first aid, those are my things. Um, And it can get more advanced. We we have knockout drugs for prequilling and we have like I said, the sutures and the staples, but if, if it's close enough, I'd much rather have a, uh, a doctor of veterinary sciences do that than me. I'm, I'm not bad, but I sure as hell ain't great, whereas those folks are, that's, that's the, the vets are amazing people, and I trust them a lot more than I trust myself.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, um, so that's, I think that's the other thing, though, is that uh, folks, one thing you didn't mention is making sure you know who the local vets are especially if you're traveling yeah
1: uh, it, it, ha- it helped that i knew regina from previous trips to nebraska it definitely smoothed things over she knew what my dogs were about she knew that they hard-working dogs that they're going to be tough and they could take a hard bolus of, of an venom so you know it, it, it but don't be afraid to do that research see what the emergency vet clinics are in the area because a lot of times on weekends on a Sunday, who's open? You need to know who those emergency vets are in the area. And and have it saved in your phone. You know, I don't care if you're in Senoida, Sierra Vista, Arizona, Nogales, Phoenix, whatever, Tucson. You, you got to know who can give you help.
0: Right, because it's those days that you don't... You, uh, hold on, i word this. It's the, it's the stuff you don't prepare for It's going to come back and bite you. So it's, Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, and then uh yeah so definitely having them no one who's around might not even heard to make a phone call beforehand you know just kind of letting them know you might be in the area and you know maybe you can get some more information that way but you know maybe starting that relationship and um like you said with with um i forget what you just said her name was but the the lady that regina, in, regina yeah in in nebraska was um i mean she remembered who you were i mean just walking in the door so uh, I mean, those relationships last, and, uh, because remember, right, last time you were in there, was years ago, right, and for, you said you were dequilling a dog that last time? Yeah, it was, it
1: was like four years ago, and the year before that, so she dequilled two of the dogs, that's something you were amazed at, was the number of porch pines on the prairie. <laughs> there's a lot
0: of them. Yeah, that's one thing, you know, being a Northeastern kid, you know, I'm, I'm very well acquainted with quill pigs, um, but... You know, just the whole thought of them—you know—knowing I knew them as a boreal, you know, big woods animal, and then finding out that they live in very prevalent numbers on the prairie—that just, you know, kind of opened my eyes a bit. Because I mean, I'm a wildlife guy, and I still was amazed by by that by that development. So,
1: oh, you're you're a professional wildlife biologist. My wife is a professional wildlife biologist, and both of you were surprised at the number of of the of those fuckers on the uh, sorry of those
0: <laughs> I'll say I'll learn how to creep. beep. I'll, this is the podcast I'm gonna learn how to beep stuff.
1: Yes. <laughs> well that's the first F bomb I've dropped so obviously we weren't that deep in the whiskey yet. But um but no, they're they're out there and that's what the hemostat's for. It also is what the uh the uh knockout drugs are for and there is a time and a place i carry liquid benadryl we did not use it on the snake bite and we'll get into that in the next segment but there's other uses for it you know a dog that gets into you know gets into a a hive of meat bees on the ground and gets stung multiple times just don't panic keep your head and don't don't over dose the dog that that was one of the stories we were hearing at the same week that mick got hit was that he kind of panicked and gave about three times what he was supposed to for the weight of the dog. But at the same time, now we're hearing that's maybe not a good thing for snake bites. Is this a good time to start talking
0: about snake bites? Yeah, I was just going to say, that's probably the best segue we're going to get for it, because that was one thing in in that that podcast you and I were listening to um, where they referenced that. And I'm not sure if it was because of... Benadryl in general, or if it was just by the amount that the dog received? Um, and and
1: that, was, that was my question as well. So, let, let's start first things first. I did not do the rattlesnake... Um, uh, what am I trying to say here, Jesse? The, the pre-venom, the... the oh, the, 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 the vaccine. The vaccine. I didn't do the vaccine because... I'm, I'm not going to lie, my dogs are snake broke, we've never had an issue, but at the same time, I had heard a lot of pretty harsh stories about reactions to the vaccine, um, and I'm not, I'm not a vet, I'm not going to go one way or the other on it, seeing how Mick, because he was well conditioned, very healthy animal, uh, how quickly he's recovered, I don't know that it's necessary but it definitely lessens the effects of an actual strike, right? And and I don't I don't want to be the guy to say yeah or nay on that. I I'm I am i i like you. I want some hard science on it before I
0: like, put it on my dog. Right before you, yeah. One way or the other, yeah. There's got to be, you know. I want to hear it from multiple. Professionals that that are knowledgeable in that field. Right. You know, and,
1: and and I'm hoping we get another podcast where maybe we get a vet on and, and really talk about it, somebody who's dealt with it a lot. Um, maybe Regina, because she's up there. Those prairie rattlers are so aggressive. They hit everything. Um, and that's a thought. Anyway, um, okay, so that being said, my dogs were not vaccinated. But Nick got hit. We went in, and one of the most, and we did not, and this is the big thing, is one, we weren't sure if he was hit or not because of where he got hit. We didn't know he got hit till we saw his, his the poor guy's jinx fell up to a, to a whiskey bottle size, and uh, got him into the vet. and it happened quick, but um, we did not administer the liquid Benatril, and... I feel we're a little lucky on that because his heart rate dropped so low. I was feeling his throat on the way to the vet and his heart rate was down, you know, below 100, which for a dog is, especially a a 43-pound dog is really low. And I worried that if we had hit him with the Benadryl, we would have bottomed out his blood pressure and his heart rate. Um, So... I think we did the right thing, but now I have all these questions because for years without a rattlesnake strike I've carried around this damn liquid benadryl, being told it's it's critical. Um, and maybe if he's been hit in the throat and anaphylaxis was more of a concern, you know, airway swelling shut, he did get hit in the back third of his body. Is that the difference? And, um I don't. I wish. I wish I had the knowledge to say one way or the other, but I really think it was
0: key to where he got hit. Um, right. Yeah. Because if he got hit in that face, you know where that, you know where that blood's a little bit closer to the heart and and, and you know a little bit closer to those, those more we'll call them more important airways. nerve endings. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. That's you been, know, the airways. Yeah. Yeah. So that's. I mean, that very well might be because that's and you know, you said forty-three pound dog. I mean, I've got an eighty-five pounder, and you know it's kind of like well. What the hell? Because like you said, um, we've heard it. Um, I've heard it from veterinarians to to, to use Benadryl, and uh, now it's kind of like like you just, like you said. It's kind of like where's the actual answer? Like, because I know for humans it's an absolute no-no, but for dogs, you know, I've been told for years that that's the way to do it.
1: Well, yeah, and you know, I don't want to armchair quarterback any. Veterinarians.
0: But, oh no! Definitely not.
1: Um, if your dogs are conditioned, just like a healthy human is more resilient to any kind of poison or toxin, a healthy dog is, you know, conditioning, conditioning, conditioning. You know, your best defense is a good, o- or your best offense is a good defense. So, um, letting them be couch potatoes through the spring and summer is a is a really bad move. Um, but let's get back to his treatment. Yeah. So, um, I heard about it. I hadn't seen it. Dr. Regina just hammered his groin and pelvis area with charcoal drawing cream. And I really believe that was a big mitigator in the severity of his reaction. So, what this stuff does, charcoal is a neutralizer, but it also, this cream, draws the effect, all the toxins it can, out through the pores in, in the affected area. And I won't go anywhere without it. Um, I believe I could see liquid pooling on top of the cream while we were giving him the anti venom. And so, while the anti venom was critical, I also think this charcoal draw, drawing cream. And you can find it online, but it is it is amazing for any kind of uh, of uh, inject you know any kind of uh, snake injection or scorpion or bug or whatever. It's amazing. I think what, what I saw physically coming out through his pores was pretty amazing.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I unfortunately I, I wasn't there to see it, but I know you had said that. Um uh dr regina said that that was her uh that's what she said saved her horse when the horse got got hit a, a couple of years prior by by a prairie rattler
1: yeah i mean obviously you're not going to pick up nick like we did and carry him uh, if it's a horse and she was able to get the horse back to the trailer get it back and get get the anti into it um you know, luckily she's a vet, but her horse is showing no ill effect. And, and right now, our, our local vet cleared Nick to go back to competition and hunting. So, I it's
0: anecdotal, but I'm swearing by it. Right, I mean, because it's only been, we've been back, what, approximately two weeks? So the strike happened three weeks ago, and he's already cleared, you know, and, and not back up to snuff, but he's already cleared by the vet after three weeks.
1: Yeah, that's right. And let me, give me just a second. Um, I'm going to look up the two different um, anti-venoms. Basically, there's two kinds of anti-venom, and they're both effective, but the one, the, the, the name brand Bio is way more effective than the other one, and I can't, I'm drawing up a blank on the other one, but, uh, but if, if you do get in, ask for the bio. The bio is, it just, it's not as hard on the dog, um, the side effects are a lot less. So, so, just keep that in mind. Ask for the bio, B-I-O, um, and in.
0: Yeah, it's definitely good information, and, um,
1: and that's what Regina uses, so, we were lucky in that case, but, yeah, but he yeah. also deals with a lot of rattlesnakes, right?
2: So
0: oh, I thought you were gonna keep going with that. Oh, no, I'm, I'm. <laughs> okay. Because uh, yeah, I mean, not only that, but I mean, I mean, it's Arizona. We have so many venomous species, and that's and that's. I am gonna harp on one thing with that is that just because you said I'm a wildlife professional guy. Uh, for wildlife, is it's venomous, not poisonous? I hear that all the time, and it, I know you haven't said it because I mean, I mean, you're probably get slapped if you say it in your house, but uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, if I if I,
1: I don't use the p word, it's always venomous.
0: Cause right. My wife is
1: and 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 it, you notice I didn't even kill the snake that struck Nick.
0: No, I mean snake was just doing what snakes do. I mean he was right. He, he was minding his own business and. You know, it's definitely I wouldn't call it mixed fault either, but you know he got ran up on by a dog, and he's gonna do what snakes do. Um, well,
2: and bird dogs are
1: gonna do what bird dogs do, and you gotta know you're gonna have some un, unsatisfactory
0: encounters. Oh, it's gonna happen sooner or later. It's not it's not a when or an if, but when. But uh, yeah. Um, but I did want to harp on one thing though. With here in Arizona is, uh, and I'm not sure how it applies to dogs. I would assume it would because it definitely applies to humans, but having proper snake ID when you go into the vet? Yes, uh, yes. If
1: it's Mojave... Okay, so basically you need to be able to distinguish Mojave between all of them.
0: And, yeah.
1: And you know this as a as a biologist that, that black rattlers, diamondbacks, sidewinders... I don't know what you're hunting if you get hit by a sidewinder, but... Um, <laughs> timber rattlers... You know, we have like... What do we have? Like pink rattlesnakes. There's more damn... Venomous snakes yeah, we, in Arizona. I think. We have and,
0: seven. Stick yeah, 17, 17, Uh, sixteen rattlers. Holy
1: uh, cow! That's a lot of that's a lot of venomous snakes. Yeah. That being said, the the bio venom work, the bio antivenom works on all of them except the Mojaves. Yes. And it's you might go into this as your but one is a neurotoxin and one is a what a hemotoxin.
0: Correct. Yes. Yeah. So hemotoxins attacking the blood, neurotoxins attacking the the nerves, um, and I feel like a very bad biologist, and that I forget which one is extra. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, Mojave. So when you get a, a general uh at your vet, it's going to be uh, you know try to make it species specific. But here in Arizona, it, I, if I, I hopefully a, a vet will hear this and tune in. Um, and and it'll get back to me, but most of them are going to be derived from a diamondback uh, because it's they're more prevalent and they're they're uh, they're, they're in and, the uplands as well. Yeah, and they're in the uplands, and and it works on all the other species except for Mojaves. Um, yes. But that's where you know having that proper identification that comes down to the the color, the the shape of the diamonds, and the number of squ- scales in between the eyes. Are kind of the, the only ways, and if you get close enough to tell the the eyes, you'll you'll definitely know which one it is. Um, but I would definitely recommend. Well, it. I think
1: I, I think you made the comment that the prairie rattler Micaa hit by is probably a subspecies of the diamondback. They they just look like mini diamondbacks. So
0: yeah, I believe they are. I think it's just a northern, you know, a more colder climate acclimated. Um, I mean, they come down into Arizona, you know, with our with northern Arizona, the Hopi rattler. Um, you know, we have. Which is a prairie
2: rattler. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's, yeah, it's a prairie. It's just a, you know, it's it's like here on South Mountain, you know, we have speckled rattlesnakes. Um, on South Mountain, but they're a different color than the ones in different parts of the valley. And the Hopi, to me, the Hopi is no different from that. It's just different patterning. But for some reason, the Hopi got given its uh, different. Um, specific epithet versus the speckled, you know, just thrown in as a color phase. So it's that's that's a whole other realm of wildlife sciences that I can go on a tirade for an hour on. Um, you don't want
1: to go into color phases?
0: I don't want to go into the whole specific epithet because sometimes it just doesn't make sense whatsoever. Um, <laughs> by specific epithets, folks don't know Um, all species, you know, the, the Latin names, um, uh, uh, diamondback rattlesnakes are Crotalis atrox. Uh, Crotalus being the, gen- the genus and the atrox being the specific epithet, and then some species have an additional name, and that's what denotes the subspecies. So, like with uh, the easiest one I know of is brown bears versus grizzly bears. Brown because brown bears, coastal brown bears are uh, uh, Ursus arctos, and then grizzly bears, which are just an inland version of coastal brown bears, are Ursus arctos horribilis, or the horrible brown bear. So they're the same species, just one's a subspecies, but we do give them different common, common names. Um, hey, you got
2: to use your degree.
0: Yeah, I got to use them on, on the podcast for once. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that's yeah. But sometimes yeah, I can go into this for for an hour. Um, and I think every wildlife out there is probably laughing, they're nod their head or, or getting mad at me for getting them thinking about it, one or the other. But um, yeah. Yeah, when my
1: wife hears this, when my wife hears this podcast, she's going to correct your Latin.
0: Oh, oh yeah, I know I don't pronounce it right. <laughs> I know how to spell it, and everybody knows what I'm talking about, but I definitely do not pronounce it right. Oh, um, but, uh, uh, yeah, what were we talking about before I went into my tirade? <laughs> oh,
1: we were, we were talking about how, uh, basically, I think we beat snakes with a stick, you
0: know. Oh, yeah, so, yeah,
1: yeah. So, um... No, that's, um, as, as bad as the snakes are, uh, I still worry about the heat. You know, I, 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 when I get on social media and I'm seeing guys with full limits from opening weekend, and I know the birds are dumb and easy that time of year, um, I worry a little bit about, you know, how the dogs are doing. And some of that is uh, I probably a little too soft on the dogs, but at the same time, they're what makes a lot of the harvesting so much more... I mean, th- that's why I'm out there, is, is for the dogs. Right. Um, and uh, I, I, I don't need to shoot another bird as long as I live. I've killed a lot, but um, I'll do it for the dogs every time. Um,
0: right, they earned it.
1: Yes. They're, they're living up to their genetic potential. And the hours of training and building that partnership. And that partnership is so critical that it, it, it's, it's really hard not to, to, for me to get emotional about it and be, you know, I look at my dogs, their family, um, but they're also working animals. Same with our horses. It's, it's, there's expectations of them, but don't overdo it.
0: Right. Yeah, I mean,
1: save save the big days for end of December, beginning
2: of
0: January. Right. Yeah, it's a long season. We. I mean, it's. it's, Well, tomorrow's opening day, October sixteenth. But I mean, we got all the way up until February, so we got a lot of ground left to cover. Um. I mean, it's okay to go hot and heavy. You know, everybody likes those gripping grins uh, on opening day, but. You know, make sure that the dog's going to last and make sure you're going to last until the end of the season. Yeah. Um, Sorry. No, no, I was trying to keep talking while uh, going over that. But, the uh, Copenhagen the wrong
2: windpipe.
0: That'll do it. <laughs> Sorry for laughing, Sorry. but it's kind of funny at this end.
1: Oh, it's funny. <clears throat> so much for being an expert,
0: right? <clears throat> right. Yeah, lost all credibility in 30 seconds. Yeah, it happens. <laughs> but, uh, I gotta be honest, I think, other than maybe talking a little bit, unless we want to talk more about Nebraska, I think we've we've hit everything I wanted to hit because, um, I want to talk at the first day. Like, obviously, we talked about, like, what you carry in your, you know, a little bit, everything you carry in your pack and a little bit of what you carry in the truck. Um, and again, just harping on that water. Um, like I said, like, like you quoted, um, in a in a pod, you know, not a podcast in a posting I made today, you know, I carry two liters and two liters because that's what my, my pack carries. Um, two liters are dedicated for the dog and I carry two others, two more liters in a, in a bladder, but I'll probably only drink about a liter of it because I'm, I always harp on people, you know, hydrate, 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 but at the same time, I don't always practice what I preach. So, you know, I would always end up having other, at least in the one more leader for the dog. You know, especially with having a black lab, I mean, it's, I'm really mindful of the heat with him. Uh, like, he won't hunt until next month, probably, and then that's all totally going to be totally dependent on what this weather actually does. Because like you said, we're breaking record after record with heat and long long and lung, longevity of the heat, and, um, you know, I want to be mindful of him and, you know, keep him safe, and at the same time, I'd like to enjoy my season, but um I definitely want to keep him you know keep him in the black and and uh and going all the way to the end and you know make sure he's good for seasons to come
1: no absolutely I mean we, we put in all the work and they put in all the work let's not <clears throat> let's not damage them that just just doing the work is it's a lot like my hot shots. you know we, we train the hell out of them so that they can absorb those nicks and cuts and knocks and bangs and the high temps, but they're going to hit a limit and, and just really be sensitive to that. Uh, no one day of hunting is worth wrecking the rest of, the, of a dog's hunting career. Uh, it's it's. You can be having a great day, but when the dog is wobbling, bringing you the bird back, and you, you you push too far
0: Yeah, yeah, get to the truck
1: Yeah, it's, it's If you hit that level You you know, you're you're into an emergency Already um, You need to At that point It's ice it's, and vet time but, but be, you know Hopefully you know your dog well enough That you're not hitting that level um, I'm fortunate I have multiple dogs to run So it's, I alternate them uh, and, uh, I put a block of ice in, five, five pound block of ice in each kennel on those day, days that they, believe it or not, they just curl up on it and kind of recover and get their temp down and feel good. And they're a little shivery when I bring them out to the next
0: room. So. <laughs> yeah. Actually, it's kind of funny. Um, not funny, but, um, uh, like I said, I, like I, I got, um, Boone, you know, the, the big black lab and. Uh, then I'll be hunting with those with the Britneys, and you'll be watching Smoky, and you know you're good. I mean, the temperature is fine. It's windy, and then you'll watch him. And you'll come get a drink and it's stretch right out, and he's letting that heat dump from his groin and from his from his armpits and or you know front leg um pockets and you know. Oh, and he hates
2: it when I spray him, but he needs it, you
0: know. Right. Yeah, but it's it just um that's when it was. I mean, it was. 65 70 degrees and these dogs are still getting hot i mean just imagine what they're doing you know when it's 85 90 um and hopefully you're not running this a lot but if it's even hotter than that um you know noontime we're still hitting 100 with some regularity here in arizona so although it sounds like that's going to be over with but in the next week or so it sounds like we're, we're going to be dropping into the the high 80s low 90s for the foreseeable so that's going to hopefully be a mark of a better season to come.
1: Well, and, and we have a near-record hatch of Gambles. It's, it's going to be hard to hold off, but, yeah. but I'm with you. I'm probably going to hold off a bit just, or at least stay, you know, along the rim or above the rim uh, until temperatures drop. But, but it's going to be hard just because the Gambles population and the Scaly population had a tremendous winner. Um, I'm afraid our merms is going to be very hit or miss, but, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm excited. Uh, I know you and I will be getting out some this year, but, uh, but, uh, just if I can emphasize one thing to your listeners, it's, it's man, really watch those dogs. And if, if you're sweating and tired, think about what that dog's going through because he's been working, he or she's been working way harder than you had been. So here, here's when we're hunting, pheasants we figure the dogs are covering six miles to every uh, one of our one miles on grouse it's 10 miles to every one of our one miles and then on desert birds we cut, cut, kind of split the difference and say seven to eight miles for every one of your miles think about that if you're hurting you're tired you're hot well they've done eight, seven to eight times the work you have
0: yeah, it's definitely a good numbers. So I was actually just gonna ask you those numbers. I'm glad you got ahead of me on that one. So I was just gonna exact ask that exact question. Um, Get out of my head, Jesse. <laughs> I was gonna say the same thing, but uh, yeah. So we're we're getting a, we're approaching that hour mark. So I feel like this is gonna be a good time to cut off. But at the same time, I wanna you you just mentioned that. I wanna go back maybe about one minute or so. Uh, and that the Fishing Game actually released a, uh, an Outlook today via their email saying that this is probably be the best quail season for the past 15 years. For desert birds. For, for desert, desert birds. birds, yes, 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 for desert birds. Yeah, Um. you know, we've had back-to-back, Uh. you know, good, mild winters, plenty of rain for the desert birds. Like you said, the Myrns... The merge are going to be hurting this year. It's, uh, or are hurting this year. So I think it's going to be very The
1: soon killed us. Normally we have a monsoon this year. We had a nonsoon. But, yeah. but so, so the, the birds are out there. We've seen them. We've all seen the coveys. You're going to need to key on a couple of different bushes. The hackberry and the ironwood. Uh, those berries are just, if you find those, you're going to find birds.
0: Yes. Yeah, they're going to be yeah they're gonna be where there's well they only need three things you know food water shelter and if you can find those
1: yeah the berry the berry bushes also provide shelter and so hunt tanks hunt draws with with pools still standing it's tough this year because of the drought but uh you're you're gonna find birds um and then don't get mad at your dog because these are running bastards
0: yes (laughs) yeah these are definitely a running little bird i mean that's you know, especially coming from rough grouse in, in Woodcock country, the hunting gambles, man, is uh, if if you're new to the state, um, which a lot of folks are, it seems like I'm always talking to somebody that's got, you know, it's here even newer than I am. Uh, this is a whole new animal. This is, this isn't think your...
1: Of, think <laughs> of them as pheasants, because pheasants run on pointing dogs as well. Right. And, and flushing dogs. But that are helped out by, uh, just a second. <laughs> 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 He's feeling better. I'll just leave it at that. But um, or females getting tormented. But um, not only do they run, they've got all kinds of spiny, crappy, horrible stuff to help them out with their their escape. So don't get mad at your dogs when they run into a cholla pod patch. Don't get mad if they can't hold them. These are they're devil birds. You know, yep. they're they're they're
0: tough. Yeah, because I believe it was. I'm gonna. I'm going to steal this directly from a TV show, but I think it was uh, The Flush, uh, one of the Pheasants Forever programs, uh, where they were hunting down here in Hank Shaw. He's a uh, famous hey, the chef, chef. Wow. yeah, for better, yeah, for you know, but he specializes in wild game, and um, I believe it was on The Flush, but he was on um, another program, but uh, he said, everything in the desert hates you, and that's 100% true.
1: If it doesn't prick, stick, or bite you, it doesn't belong in the yeah, desert. Yeah,
0: it's not native to Arizona in the first place.
1: So, well, cool.
0: Yeah, I think we, I think we about hit everything. We're at a about an hour. Um, I think this is a good place to cut off. Um, I think any longer than this, or I think we're gonna put people to sleep.
2: Yeah, I'm not the most entertaining individual. <laughs> so. Well, thank you for having me on.
0: Yes, sir. Um, and if you want, I mean, uh. You want to put out ways that folks can get a hold of you if they have questions or just want to follow along with what you're doing?
1: So, uh, we are on both Instagram and Facebook with Black Tree Kennels. Um, Give us a follow. Uh, If you have specific questions about training or hunting or just want to shoot the shit, uh, the email is blacktreekennels at gmail.com and it's all lowercase B-L-A-C-K-T-E-R-E K-V-N-A-D-L-S-A-D-L. Uh don't, don't hesitate to reach out
0: I'm um, pretty pretty available so thank you Alright well that sounds good well on that note I think we're gonna we're gonna log off for today and I just want to say thank you again Pat for jumping on I think we we, did, we covered some really cool stuff with some cool information and hopefully some folks will get some some gains out of this
2: Well,
0: I hope so Thanks for having me again Alright Later Jesse Yep Bye